creative company is so delicious, and the creative process is one of my favorite subjects. How humans can create something out of nothing is wildly exciting to me. And one of the best ways I love to spend my time is writing and recording my songs. Today, hailing from Rome, Italy, my dear friend, Claudio Reno. He's a guitar player and composer. He graduated from Berklee College of Music. He was one of my students for private lessons for one semester. He makes his living reading music. He's played for Bridges of Madison County, Fantastics, West Side Story, City of Angels, Avenue Q, Cabaret. He was the guitarist for Pretty Woman, Kinky Boots. He's now on tour with Jagged Little Pill. He's played New York City, all over the country in the U.S., and he's played all over the world with these tours. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, it's so good to see you. I'm great now that I see you. <laughs> How are you, my cool friend? I'm doing good. I'm coming to you from my hotel room here in Boston. Boston. Yeah. It's very small. <laughs> but it's nice. How are you? You were on tour. Oh yeah. Where was I? Um Where have you been? It's hard to keep track sometimes. I know you've been everywhere. I want to hear all about it. I believe I was in Ottawa. Canada, right before this. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. What? I uh, could be wrong, though. <laughs> I don't know. All the blur. <laughs> we we change city uh, once a week or once every two weeks. We're in Boston for two weeks, so. Yeah, that's a long stretch. No, or are they often that long? Uh, in the bigger in the bigger cities, they're they're often two weeks. Yeah. Uh, like Chicago, Boston, or you know cities like that, where there's like a more of a theater market. Um, but the smaller cities, uh, they usually do one week sit downs, which is still great. It's better than what I used to do when I first started. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's back up. Tell us what you're doing and what were you doing when you first started, and let's talk a little bit about your guitar loves and Berkeley days and all those cool things. Yeah, well, now I'm on, I'm playing Guitar One on the Jagged Little Pill Tour, which is a Broadway musical based on Alanis Morissette's album, Jagged Little Pill, um, with all these cool arrangements with strings and stuff of all those songs that came out in 95, I think. Is that right? I think it was 95. You'd know better. Yeah, it was, I think she was 17 years old or something like that. Um, but when I first started, when I mean started, I mean started touring um, with these shows because um, I had no idea musical theater even existed when I lived in Italy. And um, I discovered it in, in at Berkeley as a student just randomly seeing a show at the at the BPC. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, contemporary guitar in like an orchestral setting. That sounds like something I'd be interested in. And then I, I auditioned um, for the musical theater orchestra ensemble that um, what was happening. And I got a chance to to 
to try that out. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. And I was just doing shows after show after show at school. And um, then I graduated and uh, uh, started working professionally in Boston. Um, I think my, I guess like my, uh, the, the thing with Boston is that there is a lot of theater, but um, there's just not enough consistently going on. So uh, especially when it comes to union work, because these gigs are all uh, with union contracts that, you know, as I started growing up when I was younger, I didn't care. Now that I'm almost 30, I'm like, oh, you know, benefits sound good. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's not like that. And pension and all that, all that stuff that you don't really think about when you're 22, you know, and um, um and and uh, so that, that you know the union work here uh as far as theater goes was a little bit limited i worked for a theater company called art in cambridge which is uh one of those companies that originates a ton of broadway shows they actually originated jagged little pill before it went to broadway in new york um and what does that mean they they help bring it about yeah, they 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 were the first company to produce it, and, um, and oh, okay. stuff. yeah, they were, and uh, you know, and other shows, even even Waitress, uh, which is the Sarah Bareilles show, started at ART, and so I worked for them for a show, and I was like, well, this this union thing is cool, and obviously the contracts are much nicer, um, and so I I told myself I got I got to do more of this stuff. But, um, you know, all the union gigs in Boston, um, like Boston Pops and so on, you know, they're already taken. And, oh. you know, and so I, I was like, OK, I got I to gotta go to New York. So as soon as soon as I got my um, my first artist visa. Um, now I'm almost done with my second one. I was like, okay, I gotta get to New York and try to do this thing, and and. Uh, have you been doing all this now? Um, I've been on tour, on and off. You know, I say on and off because there was about a. Um, uh, a year and a half, maybe during the pandemic, where we were just at home, sure. so you know. But I started touring about five years ago, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But <laughs> but you know it's 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 great, and it's not been the same show every time. And you you came to Kinky Boots yeah. at the Colonial here, so yes, I moved to New York, and uh, maybe two or three months later, um, I booked. Um, kinky boots uh, in asia and we went to china and then we went to singapore and then they kept me on for the north american tour of it too so i did that and um now granted that that wasn't a union job but it was still very consistent work and it was fun and and great however we did 100 cities i believe in seven months which is crazy um, no wonder you can't remember where you are, where you've been. 
yeah i mean it's 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 kind of nuts after a while and um and then after that i went back to new york and then i booked another tour of a called a show called escape to margaritaville which is jimmy buffett's show um which is cool it's a lot of fun you know good times <laughs> uh and then i uh the pandemic hit with covid and they sent us home and that was that was a big that was a really tough moment for everybody including myself because they sent us home we all eventually lost health benefits and we're not on a paycheck and um you know my um sorry did you go back to italy or, or, or new york no i stayed in new york throughout the whole time because um i was trying to you know i was applying my, my visa application was coming up so because my my previous artist visa was expiring so i had to uh do that whole process again and um it was just easier to get it all done from here and um get it all sorted and there was also that whole thing where at the at first you know march of 2020 everybody was saying if we're going to start back up in a month and then it was like uh, pushing it back two weeks and then two weeks and two weeks so there was still that glimpse of hope that it wasn't the complete disaster that it ended up being um i guess you know it won't be three years right exactly and (laughs) so i was sticking around with the hope of um of that and plus i had a lease so whether or not i were in i was going to stay in new york you know you're still responsible for your expenses and your life and stuff so sure but then things started back up and and uh i got on another show pretty woman um where that i toured with for a year and a half so that was that was great uh that was my foot back into like union gigging consistently uh i was there for a year and a half and um and then i uh i i got the offer to come on this tour so i left that tour and came on to this and i just honestly i honestly did it um because after a year and a half it it was nice to get a bit of a change and plus I had an extra guitar on this tour uh because with these union contracts you get paid per double that's what they call the extra instrument so um it was just a little bit more money uh different music and the bands on stage so that was something I hadn't done in a minute you know after a year and a half of being in a pit uh if it was good to to be on stage um so yeah and, and here we are here we are are. any favorite shows and any particular guitar reasons why i I gotta say so the most demanding show i've done is probably this one because um yeah i'm 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 just playing all the time and it's it's a very guitar centric album uh so basically i'm i'm starting every song almost (laughs) That's, that's a tricky thing, isn't it? When you're the one that actually has to kick off the song. It's yeah, a, it's yeah. Responsibility. 
So uh, on Broadway, there was um, a guitar one and a guitar two book. And um, and now it's it's the same, but the guitar two here is also the associate music director, which means they had to hire someone that's uh, both a strong enough piano player and conductor, but that also knows how to play guitar. So, you know, it's it's hard to find somebody that fits all those boxes. So what they did was is put all the heavy weight of guitar, both from the guitar one and guitar two book on the guitar one book, and they made the guitar two book very easy so that uh, so that the associate music director could actually play it and it wouldn't be a complete uh, traumatic experience for him when he joined the tour. Um, so not only did you need an extra guitar on the gig, you needed extra arms and hands. Exactly. Well, you know, so it's like all these songs start and, you know, if you come see the show next week, you'll see a lot of these songs just start with uh, a guitar riff, whether it's acoustic, electric um, and 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 um, and it is a little bit it's not hard parts. Um, I mean, you know, how hard can it be? It's in his 90s rock but but it is it is um a little bit nerve-wracking where because we, we play theaters that have that are between i don't know 1500 seats to 3000 i don't you know they're big theaters they're big houses we're at the opera house here in boston and so when, when you're there and <laughs> it can be a little nerve wracking when you're first starting. So that's why I'm saying it's demanding because mm -hmm. uh, you make a mistake and then everybody hears the mistake. And, uh, but having in your monitors and stuff is isolating enough that kind of yeah. helpful as far as, um, as far as AI for the output of our guitars and voices <laughs> so that if we play any wrong note, it either fixes it, or makes it inaudible. <laughs> I mean, hey, reverb. Be helpful. <laughs> can be very forgiving. I'll say that. <laughs> so, uh, I was getting at with the starting of the songs is I can remember in my Beatle band and in my solo solo Beatles years band, occasionally there was a guitar part that I very often when there was a guitar riff or a lick, I had to start a song. And if the riff wasn't in my head, it wasn't there. Like if you don't hear it, you can't play it. And yeah. if you, in, in that, just in those milliseconds before you start, there is this incredible uh, feeling of, I'm about to break the silence and I have to confidently step forward mm -hmm. and I have to actually put this across. I have to do this, really step into this. And I don't mean super play loud, but I mean like do it confidently. And oh, yeah. There is that little split second of hesitancy of, this could really go bad. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I got, it, I got it. I ain't got well, it. Well, we get we get a we get a <laughs> I I get a like I get a click preview every time like like okay so maybe like five to ten seconds before I get a click preview of because uh, taking care of that the sound um, either the music director is taking care of that he's got access to the click and then um, a lot of times the drummer 
the drummer triggers the actual clicks for the song because uh the show the, the show is is completely to a click except for a couple of parts that need to be a little more loose as far as like you know the whole like cola voce freely all that stuff or if they want maybe the final chorus of a song to push a little bit more they'll take the click out but for the most part we're we're to a click uh there are no tracks uh, but sometimes show do that too, where they add you some sounds. Where you're playing along to something. Yeah, yeah, but but this show doesn't doesn't have that. Um, but you're totally right. You, you, it's easy to get in your head. You have to sort of access this mental space where you're laser focused and, uh, um, but not too laser focused, if that makes sense. Otherwise you mess up you have to kind of you just got to be relaxed uh to be italian like claudio and just chill man just <laughs> and, you know it's also super i don't know about you or but like it's really hard to play with in-ear monitors it's just it, the response that the guitar has especially an acoustic guitar um when you're hearing it black you know when, you, when you're playing your guitar in a room or like through an amp in a room you're also hearing the room you know all the reflections and and also the tone changes depending on the kind of surface the amp is sitting on and and all that kind of stuff so it's a lot easier but you know you mic an amp and then you hear it through your ears or you're playing through an amp modeler or or you you're oh my god and like get acoustic guitar for consistency i don't have a mic i ha i go di and mm. it, it's it's a little tough and then you have your little avion mixer where you can blend all the different instruments and i add a little bit of reverb and pan things a little bit but it's really hard to play uh guitar with with in-ears it just doesn't it doesn't feel right and so uh, it changes your playing a little bit but you have to be strong enough to just remember what the feeling is and not try to cater to what you're hearing um is this new playing within ears no i mean i've been i did it in every show every every sort of broadway musical at a certain level it's all with ears yeah yeah you must be pretty used to it now oh yeah 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 i've been doing it this entire time um but uh, my two bands they were just so loud on stage and occasionally there's someone who really wants loud monitors and the floor monitors are so loud and my mic has to be up so loud because i don't sing loud yeah my mic is always picking up the whole band and feeding it oh. right back into my own ears. So I'm getting it acoustically and I'm getting it with headphones or in my in-ears. And um, it just becomes incredibly disorienting as well as uh, isolating, as you say, because sometimes I'm wearing earplugs and then headphones to give myself a little bit of myself. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's, that's interesting. And you know what has worked well for me, actually, the noise canceling headphones. I'd wear my little Bose oh. headset, cancel all the big, giant, low end and massive drum sound beefiness and bring it down to something simple. Because what I'm trying to focus on, whether it's a floor monitor or even my in-ears or my headphones, is my voice and my guitar, just so I can shape them right. 
like you're saying, if you don't have the right mm -hmm. acoustic space around it or it doesn't feel like you're actually connecting with the instrument the way you're used to connecting with it, you almost feel like you can't get the part across. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so the the blocking of the, the noise canceling really helped, but it was even more isolating because you almost felt like you're playing there by yourself. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which in a sense, in a sense, it's, you know, it, it does take a lot of the edge off when, uh, but um, if you don't have levels right, then you feel like everybody can hear every nuance of of your playing because you, you can hear yourself so loud. I use the actual in-ears that go inside, so they're, they're pretty isolating in that sense. I still get a little bit of the outside, but... Um, Form fitting, you mean they they actually the custom made molds and all that. They're not custom made, but they they seem to fit my ear really well. I got lucky in that sense. I thought about getting customs like the ultimate ears or whatever the brands are. Um, but also here's the thing: we have our um, uh, there's a for this gig the drummer is in a separate room because it's a real drum set. Um, <laughs> Whether of other times they use like the V drums, just because it's you know from a pit when a tour, when a show is traveling, it's a lot more consistent mixing wise. Otherwise, the people in the front row just get blasted unless they travel like a a case, like a plexiglass sort of like yeah. case, which sometimes does happen. But that adds a lot on um, on the. Uh, but these drums are all real and all mic'd. And uh, and so they just put our drummer, Lucy, in um, in a separate room. So it's a lot easier to control what's coming into my ears. So uh, I guess the only acoustic instruments besides guitars that are right next to me are like the string section, which is violin, viola, and cello. Um, but they're not loud enough that it messes up my my uh my mix right because um, we we each have our own our own separate avion so we can hear whatever we want but I, I honestly i keep myself very loud and uh and the click very loud in your headphones yeah oh. um and, and this, we don't just the whole go ahead no no we don't use real amps either we use amp modelers okay yeah. Are you still using the same one? Well, it, it, no, it depends on the show. I've used them all. For Kinky Boots, I was using the Fractal Axe Effects. Right. Uh, which is that one. pretty popular. Um, pretty Woman, we were using like a real amp from a brand called Milkman based out of Kansas City. And it's like a little amp head that also has a, like a cab, like an analog cab sim switch and a, and a and an XLR out. So it's just like a clean Fender-esque amp. So uh, I was using that with, with like my pedal board because that was a less, it was a less involved show as far as sound. I just needed a clean tone for the Motown-y stuff, a rock rhythm tone and a lead tone with a couple of variations, delay or chorus here and there, just to, I mean, it was Brian Adams music. So, nice. you, you know, you get the sense of it, but now we're using Kempers. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, and and there's just a lot of a lot of interesting guitar sounds happening. Yeah, this show and a lot of quick patch changes too. That Any of those MIDI for you, like they're preset. Or um, they're not MIDI. You're you're setting all your pedals as you go. They're not they're not they're not MIDI changes, but they're the Kemper is set up basically where it's like um every song has a separate performance yeah. set up like a scene where you can stomp from preset to preset and each preset also has um these foot switchable effects yeah. you can add on there and but a lot of times the sounds they just they're just ready to go because the programming was done from the broadway days uh, and then I just did some alterations to tailor to my guitar because obviously, you know, and there's the other thing where oh, yeah. amp modelers, um, you know, something may sound amazing with your Les Paul, but then, you know, you play another guitar through it and the pickup height and the type of pickup and whatever, the sound is completely different, especially when it comes to uh to gain you know the amount of gain and stuff but everything you know i i tailored it a little bit i know how to use those things because so, i have one on my own that i use in new york uh so so no separate pedals right now you're using just the kemper effect? just the kemper like the, the foot the foot uh the one with the foot switches it's called kemper stage nice. uh so uh so there there's that so most of the really most of the changes are either to move from sound to sound or to maybe have a volume boost here and there where they want me to come out of the mix um a little bit more and and the show is all programmed as far as the mixing so um how's that it's sort of like a, a really well-oiled machine where uh my sounds are all tweaked in a way that they can jump out of the mix or not without the sound. When, when you say, programmed. oh, it's all programmed in the Kemper. So basically they oh, said, okay. yeah. And then they're also like at the mixer, they, they have presets with the, um, for every song, you know, so wow. levels change and stuff like that for, for every song. And on top of that, uh, cool. the Kemper program to have, what mixer is doing those changes or is someone there pushing those buttons to change there's someone yeah we have we have uh we have a audio engineer yeah we have two okay so. one for monitors one for one that works backstage and one that works front of house yeah, yeah. So the backstage is for you guys pretty much for us or the actors because you know you're dealing with you know, when you oh, have yeah. a cast, everybody has a mic. So that's, a, yeah. and you know, you were talking about mics picking up other mics. Those mics that they use are these little condensers that go through their hair and just kind of dangle here. Uh, or like sometimes they come around here and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're the color of like your skin. So they, they can, you don't really notice them <laughs> or they're like in the wig or they're in the hat or whatever, you know, and How do they get them to not fall off if they're dancing around and running. They're taped. Yeah. They're I was taped. Gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> so right now I'm um, using these status audio, uh, three ANC earbuds. Mm -hmm. 
and they have a built-in mic i guess oh and it just goes around here yeah well it's somehow reaching there i don't know how maybe it's just going oh wow jawbone. <laughs> that's Does interesting that okay huh. huh oh yeah oh yeah it sounds great okay. um i wanted to ask you about that click though because what a lot of folks don't understand about being in a tribute band is you're trying to play things like the record. You're trying to do things mm -hmm. the same every night. And if you were in a classical situation, if you were doing theater or if you were doing the symphony, it's supposed to be the same. It's supposed to be up to the director or the conductor or somebody who's saying right. this is you. And all your dancers and singers and speakers, they're all waiting for things to sound the same every night so they know what to do. Mm -hmm. But the click is probably helping that, right? The click is helping. So we also have the music director has uh, a camera that uh, gives gives us like a feed. So on our mon on our stands, we have these tiny little monitors mm. um, where we can see the video feed of the music director conducting. Um, and also, this is something the audience doesn't really notice, but in the back of the theater where the mezzanine is, there are, there are these big screens that so that the actors can get that same feed. So he he's giving off cues and stuff like that. Because no, even if we have click, there's still moments where there are vamps and stuff like that, um, where we're just waiting for the vocal, like, because uh, there's dialogue sometimes in the songs. And if the dialogue ends a little bit later, then we have to go a little bit later. So there's all these sections where we just repeat and then the music director cues us out of them. And we get all those we get all those uh, cues from him through the video feed. And so do the actors. Um, and also he has a mic that he can talk to us through. If he ever needs, if something crazy happens, which sometimes it does. I mean, you know, it's live theater. So, <laughs> you know, so sometimes could, sometimes uh, somebody could forget a line or, uh, or somebody uh, can't hear themselves properly and, and comes in at the wrong time. And then the music director has to call out measure numbers so that we can catch up and stuff like that. It, it happens rarely, but it, but it does. It's not perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the beauty of it too uh, I, I suppose something exciting happened tonight <laughs> yeah I, I mean you're doing the same show every night it's nice to have something different every now and then but uh yeah so that's how we get those cues oh that's cool do, do yeah. uh does the, the touring company or, or or somebody give you the gear to use or set you up yeah well the, the, get the gear or the guitars are mine Okay. So you, you you bring your own instrument, uh, but they they provide everything else like the Kemper, um, nice. the eyes, cables, all that stuff, mics for the strings. They, yeah, keyboards that run through main stage uh, for their past changes and stuff like that. Um, drum sets. So I really I just have to have the guitars, um, but I do travel my own pedal board just just you know to keep things fun and in case i get a <laughs> gig here and there What's or for recording pedal? huh what what pedals do you have oh i'll show you i'll have it right here let me just grab it oh it's a show i'm gonna lift them up and show you 
There it is. Nice. Yes. So left to right. Uh, yeah. This this red one. This is what I would use just like on an everyday basis if I were gigging, and this is a. Uh, Similar to what I was using on Pretty Woman. So it starts okay. here, ends here. This is like a, the red one is like a Marshall JCM 800 sort of high gain okay. sound. Because sometimes, sometimes you need that. Um, and then this one, oh, this is a JHS. That's the company. Uh, it's called the Angry Charlie. If you can see, like, it's like, it's got this, the frowny face, like Charlie Brown. <laughs> uh, um and then this green one is from a company called brown and it's it's like a odr1 on this side and a blues breaker kind of thing on this side so odr1 is like the the it's basically the pedal that all the session players in nashville were using um it's sort of like it's not a tube screamer but it's it's sort of like a medium low medium gain drive that just fattens up your sound and and uh nice. makes any amp sound good to be honest so it's kind of like a secret pedal for nashville session guys like a back saturator the, or something like what a preamp saturator um a little higher gain than that but um but also you could set it like that but you know when when the session scene was alive now it's kind of dead that's the pedal they would use and then the the other side is like a like a blues blues driver or blues bridge it's like a like a transparent sort of overdrive that just adds a little bit of life to your tone and the cool thing about it is that the two sides stack really well so if you want to go like they're just tailored to stack with with each other and they also stack well with this guy but um nice. basically like all the flavors of overdrive because you never know what amp you're getting when you're gigging like you know i don't in new york city i don't bring an amp it's too much you know you don't nobody has cars in new york although which yeah. is crazy because you see cars everywhere but nobody has a car <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, so you know you take the train and you got your guitars and and so you want to keep it small and that's why i was like okay i need like this drive pedal works with pretty much any amp ever and this mm -hmm. is just in case somebody's like hey can you do the van halen thing or whatever i'm like right. and there's a sound this is a chorus vibrato love those tap tempo which is so cool because i've never had a chorus with a tap tempo that's and cool. using why why do you want to tap tempo on a chorus? Well, so you can switch from the crazy Schofield on drugs sound to <laughs> to like a more like slow classic '80s chorus. But it's also a vibrato. You can switch to a vibrato, but I never used a vibrato because it just makes me feel sick with in ears. <laughs> it's like you're it's like you're on the boat. Uh, this little guy is a delay, an analog delay. Um, delay. I don't love delay personally. It's not my yeah. thing. <laughs> but I, I felt like I had to have one on the board. So I put this little one. And this one is my favorite pedal ever. Really? It's Strymon Flint, which is a reverb and tremolo. Wow. Like, and it's and it sounds and feels so great. I know like it's not very exciting to have like 
a reverb and a tremolo it's like a amp you know but i think it is i mean it, i i just got this uh princeton reverb uh, oh i love those amps a couple of years ago and i was like oh my god this thing sounds great and yeah i love i want to get one too i want to get one too i love those amps and this is the closest thing to the real deal like of of an amp because a lot of times these amps don't have reverb or or the reverb is like this thin sounding digital reverb i use it very conservatively too but it just sounds real so this i, I highly recommend this pedal it's it's very good and you can also go stereo if you want but i don't i, I pedals sound great yeah and then and th here's a cool thing look at how tiny this power supply is all right it's Dryman power supply which has five outputs that are 500 milliamps each nine volts which means you can power the high like the higher um voltage pedals um so you know a lot of these pedals nowadays all these like crazy well. delays and stuff like that they require a little bit more yeah and so well an 18 and um well no this one just does nine volts but it's like the um, the milliamps that are like pretty high because most pedals like you know they require like less than a hundred but sometimes like you know like the line six delays stuff like that you know that are that require more mm -hmm. uh and How it's super quiet it's back and forth like to italy do you just have adapters in italy or do you have different gear in italy versus here oh i i just do this look <laughs> i just i just changed this yep <laughs> just to this <laughs> yeah you just you just get a different power cable um but you know obviously now that i'm on tour i don't really i only use the pedals to to record um pretty much because sometimes i still get request to like hey can you put a guitar track on this or can you play this part and record it um yeah. i still want to be able to do that um so that's why i travel it and um and uh, travel uh, i travel an interface i travel a mic i travel studio monitors too actually oh, wow. i have uh i really like genelec the brand and uh they make these port portable they're still very heavy but they're they're really nice they're really nice studio monitors and they're they're pretty small and i think they sound amazing considering the size so so i can still do recording work but um so you're doing sessions for folks from your hotel room yeah to wherever you are yeah 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 awesome. and so i that, that's how i use my pedal board and what i okay I'll, let me grab one more thing <laughs> And the way I record, since I don't I don't travel an amp, um, is I have this. All right. Have you ever seen this? No. So this is a universal audio amp modeler, and it's called the Ruby, and it's a top boost box. Nice. Amp modeler in a pedal, basically. So, and I love Vox amps. There's just something about them that's just so special. And um, and uh, I know sometimes people are like it's too bright, but I I like the brightness. It cuts through the mix really nicely. Yes. Um, and it's this is exactly it's the closest thing to a real Vox that that I've heard in amp modeling. Actually, it's got three types of Vox. 
was going to ask about like that. the normal Vox, which is what the Beatles used with the normal channel, the AC30 with it wasn't the non-top boost version and which the Beatles Brian May used um which you know all it did all it had was like a cut control right <clears throat> where you could just you know the cut control all the way down is the brightest setting and then as you put the cut control up it cuts the high end um and and that's cool, pedal friendly, but it can be a little bit dark, which is why they included in the pedal um, the treble booster, which right. the I think it's the Range Master pedal or okay. whatever it was. Um, so you can brighten it up in the higher mids and and basically, you know, cranking an AC30 uh, with with the treble booster on gets you that sort of brian may sound that's lead tone that's like it's boxy but like in a good way you know it's just so present in the mid-range and and beautiful um and and then they have the the top boost channel of of the amp so this is the different one which is the one i use normally because i just i like that shimmery high end like you know, like the edge from U2, that sort of like sparkly, jangly sound. I think it's yeah. really cool. And then there's like the vibrato version of the amp. Um, yeah, I think it's great. It's got six cab cabinet simulations and pulse responses, which, wow. you know, I... I'm always like, oh man, I can't load my own impulse response. Do you use impulse responses? Have you ever gotten into that whole thing? Uh, I'd use different MIDI controllers, but I'm not sure I've used impulse responses. They're like, they're basically like wave files that are a capture of the EQ curve of, of a, a cabinet of a guitar cab. And, oh. and it basically, it's like, okay. They would, well, they would do that automatically. No, that would be built into the piece of gear or the amp. Well, this, it has six of them built in, but you can also buy some on um you know the celestian digital website and uh you can have like some there's these plugins that are impulse response loaders and you can apply the impulse response to other stuff so you can't load them directly onto this but if i take the cab simulation off i can change i can add different cabs on on my daw which i think is like cool. different eq curves yeah it would yeah, it, it, pretty much. Yeah, the way the different different cabs, um, you know how a head an amp head sounds different, so different depending on the cab that you're plugged into. It's like a completely different amp. Uh, so so sometimes it's it's funny because people are like, well, you just use a Vox AC30 sound, so you can't really get the higher gain stuff. So, no, I can get the higher gain stuff. I just use a different cab, you know. So it's yeah. like. If you if I like a Marshall 412 with greenbacks on my <laughs> on my IR loader on the DAW, then I then we're cooking for that kind of sound. So that's how I record uh, the pedal board into this and then this into my interface. And uh, yeah, it's also just way easier, honestly, even when I live in the city. Um, yeah. I, you know, I use a Kemper at home and because I, I mean, 
guitar tone is so subjective right the purists yeah. will be like oh you gotta record with a tube amp and it's like yeah it's tube amps are fun i love tube amps but to make a tube amp sound good you have to really start cranking it um to get that you know the cones to drive and that like natural breakup and i i can't do that in new york city because i have neighbors so you can do that over there but uh, i can't do that in new york city so these are so convenient that's awesome and they're just making better and better stuff i mean i know i know i was i was using uh agile partners uh mm -hmm. and they had effects for your phone so i had a million amp simulations and all kinds of pedals and microphones to choose and where to put it on the cabinets all set up and I could do presets in my phone. I had this crazy oh, wow. adapter that the car, guitar went into and I was bringing my little Honer Steinberger copy. Oh yeah, yeah. Get on planes with my phone, <laughs> this little connector gadget and that little guitar. And it was like the whole rig was right there. Yeah. Little guitar case. Yeah, and you, you know I, another thing. Going back to like the whole digital thing with the in ears and stuff. Uh, have you ever found like you're making your tones for a gig, um, and you're making tones with your in ears? Like the way the tone sounds through the speakers is completely different to the way it sounds in the in ears, and and so because of this thing called uh, i think it's called fletcher munson curve or whatever yeah. is that right uh where at a high volume you perceive the high end and the low end and like the mid-range kind of disappears so you get this smiley face <laughs> eq curve and then but when you're playing at a low volume it's the opposite where you tend to want to hear a little bit more of the high end so I've made tones sometimes at like a bedroom level where, <laughs> you know, then it goes through the house and it's like, oh my God, that is so bassy and shrill. Uh, yeah. So every time I have to make guitar tones for a gig that's like a larger theater, uh, I have to do it at like a somewhat of a high volume. So I'll go to like a rehearsal space and try and do it so I can actually crank through the PA. and like and out there. You know, one of the things you could do visually is when you're working in your DAW, mm -hmm. put an EQ on that track and visually just see where all the frequencies are going. Oh, that's a good idea, actually. I've never done that. If something in the low end is going crazy under 100 hertz, you're not going to need it in that big space. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's just that, and then, you know, you make, then you find the perfect tone that sounds amazing in the house at a loud volume, mm. but that sounds extremely dark in your in-ears and it doesn't, and it, and it makes it really hard to play it, but you know, there's the compromise, you know? Well, anything's gonna sound darker out in the hall because they have all that space to fill. Mm -hmm. Depending upon where you're listening, you're gonna get those big lower end frequencies all the way. Or when back. the people are inside too. It and they absorb it, yep, yeah. absorb half the sound. The mistake I was making with my first Beatle band in those early days was I was trying to get all my sounds to sound exactly like the guitar sounds on the records. And of mm. course they're all compressed and mastered. <laughs> and in those days they were from the album versions or the very first CD versions, which were still the album versions transferred to CD. In which case there wasn't a lot of low end or a lot of highs. Right. 
And then, of course, live, the other instruments are full spectrum, 20 to 20, because they're live instruments. And I'm doing these little dinky sounds that sound. So I had to make things bigger for live. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? Well, I had to put a lot of the frequencies back that I was cutting out. Mm -hmm. And I could do more of the full range, more of the full. So did you did you use like an EQ or on on your so what, what do you what do you use an amp for your Beatles gig or do you use amp modeling? Well, I'm not in there now, but I you know back then it was a bunch of Line Six stuff for a while. I was oh right, the Vox Tone Lab, and then I think even before that that was the SGX 2000 by ART, and there was a few different setups over the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it never was perfect. It was always a hassle, you know. Sometimes I remember watching one of your shows. Um, I forget what what town it was in, um, you but I, I saw the live Beatles shows. I did, yeah. You, you'd invited. This might have been. We've known each other that long. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Um, this might have been like 2015, something like that. Oh, you came to an AfterFab show. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, was that a different band? Yeah, I was in a, a Beatles band that did the 1963 to 1970 songs. Oh, I see. Actual Beatle years for 12 years and 13 tours. And then this was uh, theaters in Canada gotcha. and all around New England for four years. Gotcha. Yeah. That that sounded, you sounded great on that. The the mix was good. It was coming through. So I think you were losing the line six thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think on I was. that one. Uh, I used to have like a clean boost, a katana clean boost, just in case for the solos to just, if you couldn't hear it, to just step on something. Yeah. Put it you know, the, the most important, speaking of those, the boost thing, um, I, the most important pedal I own is the, and it's very underrated, uh, it's yeah. the Boss GE7. Okay. Is, it's just a Boss graphic EQ that has seven bands and then it has a level and I usually place it after the drives right. so that um, if I ever, because there's nothing worse, you're playing a gig and then it's like guitar solo time and then you just hear nothing. It's so awful. <laughs> so, so that was, and, and not only could you boost the signal, you could also shape it in a way that like, so I would kind of boost like the 800 Hertz so that it would just kind of jump out of the mix a little bit. Um, oh, and cool. the other thing I would do sometimes if, uh, you know, gigging in Boston or New York and such, you don't, you never know what amp you're getting. And, um, if the amp wasn't great and it, but it had an effects loop i would put mm -hmm. the boss graphic eq in the effects loop of the amp and then i would basically like cut the frequencies that i that were problematic and 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 basically shape the tone of the amp to what to what i liked which is for me it's usually just a very simple and balanced clean with a little maybe like a little bit extra high end because i i like the sparkle yeah um, and and i play telecasters too which are already naturally bright but you know true um i think the guitar sits in that general upper mid-range area too nice. 
I recently started playing humbuckers again. I hadn't played humbuckers in years. No. I always I was always playing uh Telecaster with single coils. Um but I had the noiseless ones, which are just a little bit darker, but the trade-off is you don't have any noise. Um, but now I'm playing these Lawler pickups that are wide range humbuckers. Remember when I guess like what was it, the the thin line telecasters? Yeah. So, you know, in response to the, the Gibson PAF pickup, uh, Fender was like, well, we got to make a humbucker. So they hired the guy that made the that humbucker and was like, can you make a humbucker for us? Mm. Did. And it's the, it's like, a it, it's just, so the Fender humbucker, the wide range one is, is just a little bit, it's just brighter. So it's still a humbucker sound, but they're just like quite a bit brighter than the Gibson style. Cause cool. I just, I don't know. I, I find Gibson's to be just a little too dark sometimes, especially Les Paul's. It depends um, on what amp it's going through. That's the problem. Like in the early right. days when Berkeley first got a contract agreement with Fender, the very first amps they had in all the classrooms actually had a mid, low mid cut switch. So oh, interesting. You cut it when you put in your humbucker guitar and you could pull right. it out when you needed to do your single coils. And it was great. And I don't know why they took them off any Fender amps. What? They should be on oh, every what? Fender amp. Yeah. It's so helpful because you don't need double low end. Right. And boost. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah. it but the, these humbuckers actually sound pretty nice and 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 bright to me so um okay, no matter what i can especially yeah especially in the um, so i think i i've been using them and i've been really digging them uh the brand is lawler and uh, so i can do the rock stuff with the bridge i can do the jazzier stuff with the neck pickup okay and then in the middle position it's it's very sparkly and funkier so i've been using this thin line i'll, I'll show it to you um, i like thin lines a lot yeah they're they're pretty cool i should get one <laughs> this is the guitar i should be using oh cool yeah very um, nice it's by a company called nash guitars oh okay um and they they're based out of washington state and they make instruments that are um that basically have a vintage feel right. without you know breaking the bank and i mean they're still expensive you know they're still three thousand dollars but um you're basically getting fender custom shop quality for um for much less money and and the parts are all um very high quality all the pickups and stuff like that and the fret like it's amazing distressed though too like well yeah and listen I, I i told myself that like i i was like why would i buy a guitar that's like all beat up right 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 like look i mean look at it this is like this is a mess but when i pick and the, the neck is all worn out like you know but you know i picked I'm up 63 years old i'm 63 years old i still have a guitar from when i was 14 and, and it, guitars that I've had since I was nine, 10 years old, none of them look like that. Yeah, exactly. I, I just was never that careless. And right. My instruments. And I was always 
of that um, mindset too. But then I picked up this guitar and I, I just really liked it. <laughs> it, it feels great. In. The neck feels amazing. I mean, the fret work is flawless and the worn out neck is just feels, it, it's just so smooth and- um, so It's and, got a worn out neck, but it doesn't have worn out frets. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, um, and, and it just, it just resonated really well too. Um, and I love the pink. I really like the shell pink and uh, it's got nitro. They even use nitro, uh, paint on it. So it's like What's before, the oh, they're all, they're, they're, it, there is no benefit really. It's just, they used like to stood out to you like, Ooh, it's nitro paint. I don't know. It's like what that. Fender used to use in 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 the 60s and stuff and and uh so it just it's just a and you can smell it it's like it like smells like salt and fender i don't know i love it <laughs> but i yeah so I, chemicals, I, I please exactly it's 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 distressed and everything and you know i basically bought a guitar that was purposely beat up by someone but it just played so well and it sounded so nice that i was willing to get it anyway yeah. so it and and it really does like it was a new guitar when i got it but somehow it felt like it was already been it already been played sure. um, and uh and you like yeah, the, and the electronics are amazing it's funny they even they even aged the electronics and stuff <laughs> somehow like i don't know how and and also i through this guitar i discovered the vintage style tuners which are different um oh, yeah the ones you go straight in yeah and on a lot of mine i love them you do i i love them it's so i, I at first i was like oh my god this is so frustrating um so it's easier to wind well now i figured out that it's a lot easier because i pulled a string to two tuning pegs up i cut it and then i go in and and wind it and it's the perfect that's what I mean. Yeah. Amount of yeah, it's the perfect amount of uh, number of wines that um, yeah. you need, and it out it, it shocked me. So and even right. the truss rod of the guitar, unfortunately, you got to take the neck off because it's in it's in it's not up here. Okay. It's it's at the bottom of the neck, um, oh. which it is. It's it's a bit of a pain, but I, on so far. I haven't had to adjust it and I've traveled with it. And, and, and every time I have a truss rod and a fender guitar up here, I end up, it ends up ruining the, 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 the wrench ends up ruining the, the piece of wood, the, the little dowel. Yeah. So, so it ended You're up doing all your own guitar setups and, and adjustments and things. For the most part. Yeah. For, as far as electric guitar goes, I do that um i learned how to do all that over the years you know truss rod electronic if you need anything done while you're in boston they might be able to do a quick turnaround uh my friends over at eq equilibrium guitars where is that uh good question <laughs> i have to look it up they're nearby um but they even come and get things and bring it back to you oh yeah, I, I think I'm good for now. What I don't do myself is usually the acoustic stuff. 
Because, I mean, the truss rod I can do on the acoustic, but acoustic guitars do weird things. And with all our traveling and temperature changes, oh yeah, How's sometimes strange things happen. You know how it is. Yeah. Uh, for example, I recently had to get um, quite a bit. Oh, hi. <laughs> Romeo. Hi, Romeo. Hi, I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> what a cutie i think that my acoustic done like the top of the guitar due to the dry climate kind of dipped and um and also the bridge was um the glue was drying so it was uh detaching so we were in i was in connecticut and i had to basically get the the bridge taken off and re-glued but that first guy that didn't done. Do, huh i just i just had that done to my martin yeah it happens you know uh but the guy didn't do a great job because he chipped a bunch of the finish around the bridge so it didn't look too great and and then oh dear we didn't i and then i found out like i had a ton of fret buzz but the the neck relief was set properly so i took it to a different guy in durham mm. at this shop called sound pure that is a really nice store and and he put in a new bridge that was like um what do you call it the bridge nut the saddle the saddle that's what the word uh that's a little higher and then he did some fret leveling and that fixed the issue and he also did some drop fills to with oh good to like fix the chippings that the other guy messed up what did he so, drop fill with uh put that what did huh? he fill it with what did he fill it with i think super glue i think that's what they use i'm not quite sure though what, i don't know what he did but usually the surface of the finish not it didn't go into the wood yeah on just on the surface where it was like a little chip and then you just kind of like wet sand it with all the oh, different cool. grits and stuff yeah. um that's nice so now the guitar looks good, but my God, it was six hundred dollars later. Oh but yeah, I have to get it done. You know, it's uh, Absolutely. I need it. And um, well, how did how did you first fall in love with guitar? How old were you? I was thirteen. Wow. I, no, no, I was fourteen. I was yes, I was fourteen years old when I started. It was. I believe January of 2008 is when I started playing guitar. That's when you were 14? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura, you know, I'm almost, I'm almost 30 years old. I turned 30 uh, in November, so. I know, but know. like I could be your grandmother. <laughs> you know, there is no age in friendship. And there's no age in musician exactly exactly yeah thank god <laughs> um yeah i started i started then um i just uh i remember thinking about it and uh thought it was cool i remember hearing guitar my my, my dad had gotten me uh my first ipod and uh so i started to to put music on there and and uh i heard uh slash playing in guns and roses mm. i think the album was uh i think it was appetite for destruction 
and, <laughs> and uh, but I was always drawn to guitar because actually, fun fact, uh, when I was a little kid, my dad always had these records of this Italian rock artist called Vasco Rossi. And and uh, I, I there was this I would hear all these amazing guitar parts and I always loved them. And um, and then you know, in college and stuff, I, I really got into like those session player, the session players scene. And uh, I was like, oh, who do I like? I like Tim Pierce. I really like um, Steph Burns or uh, Michael Landau. And uh, turns out and I was like, oh, I wonder who the guitar player of those records that I used to listen to when I was like six years old or seven years old was Michael Landau. So, I, so it was just kind of funny because I re-gravitated towards a, a guitar player that I loved as a kid when I didn't even know he existed. Uh, and um, fantastic sound got in there, and that yeah, was it was sort of sub, a subconscious thing. So I love Michael Landau's playing, and Tim Pierce's playing is amazing too. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so but I was listening to Guns N' Roses and I was like, wow, that's so cool. You know, that Les Paul neck pickup through a Jason Marshall JCM 800. It's so fluid and punchy. I love that sound. And and then I asked my parents if I could go to guitar lessons. And uh, I had previously played the saxophone as a kid. And how many years? Oh, just a couple of years, but then I dropped it and, and, and my mom, so when I wanted to play guitar, my mom was like, oh, are you going to do the same thing that you did with the saxophone? Are you going to stop after like a year? She was yeah, like, I did. what a great experience, you know? Yeah. Well, what my mom said was if you, you can, you know, you can save up and if you, if you can pay for a year's worth of lessons yourself, then I'll pay for the rest. And so for the first for the first year of my guitar lessons, I paid for them myself with the money I'd gathered from like, you know, birthday presents from relatives and stuff like that. And then from and then after that, my um, my parents paid for it. <laughs> and then, you know, they were true to their word because I ended up going to college for guitar. So, right, right. Uh, but th so, so the first year I, I, I paid it myself and, uh, and I was obsessed. And I think also the value that, you know, I could have spent that money on video games or, or anything that I was into. Sure. I chose to, sp to spend that money on guitar lessons and I think that kind of gave it a, a certain value in my mind that um, I was like, okay, I better get the most out of this. So I was obsessed. I was practicing. Um, yeah. You all had skin day. in the game. Yeah. I was practicing all day. I would spend six hours a day, eight hours. I would come home from school. And the first thing I would do was just pick up the guitar in my room and play all eight long yeah. and i made massive improvement very quickly mm -hmm. and then obviously as the time went by the improvement was much slower um and um but yeah so that was and my first guitar my grandma got it for me it was this chinese copy of an sg 
Oh, cool. So I also listened to Angus Young a lot at the time. I really like his playing. Um, so, and I still have that guitar, but it's all busted now. It's so, it's so bad that the, I, it chipped, but I realized the finish is plastic. <laughs> so, oh. There's like a layer of plastic on top of the wood. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things that had a little British flag sticker on it because, uh, you know, I was obsessed with, you know, I, I love British rock and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's how I started. And that's great. And then my, my first serious guitar was, uh, Gibson Les Paul studio, oh. a black one, which you might've seen at some point in classes and stuff when I was taking lessons from you, Yeah. but, um, it, it came out of the factory. I don't know how, but there's like a, <laughs> there's like a something with the wiring got was messed up. They, they wound the middle position out of phase. Like, you know, that, that, uh, so. On purpose, I guess. That, huh? On purpose, I guess. I don't think it was, I think they might've flipped the pickup or something must have happened because it wasn't supposed yeah, yeah. to be like that i actually remember taking the guitar to a to a tech in boston to i don't know if you still work what what was that tech that just like is right up right across from from berkeley what, what uh well there's guitar center there now well the guitar center but like right close by there's this little guitar shop where there's this tech that used to take care of everyone's guitars i forget yeah. his name um i don't know if he's still there I yeah and he was like did you know that your pickups are out of phase and i was like no <laughs> but i did notice there was a difference you know that nasally sort of uh yeah, yeah. sound and i had no idea but i kind of like learned how to use it without even knowing oh cool um it was sort of like uh it's something that i ended up using to my advantage because it, it was basically a way to have a brighter sound on a Les Paul. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh, no, I had no idea. And he's like, do you want me to fix it? And I was like, yeah, I'll just leave it. I'll just keep yeah, it. I was born it like this. So I kept it. <laughs> and yeah. So that was kind of that was kind of funny. But uh, that's how I got started. That's how I got started. Rock guitar all the way. And then I started getting into other genres and stuff. Hmm. Any particular and, uh, classes at Berkeley that uh, helped you the most for what you're doing now or as an artist? Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the musical theater orchestra was huge because I, I, I realized, you know, you can take all the lessons you want and practice all you want and become amazing. But I think, you know, learning by doing when you're immersed mm -hmm. into something is super important too. So I think for me, with other players. Yeah prioritizing I, you know i studied guitar performance and people are like well why did you study guitar performance you could have done mp and e and this and that or all this other stuff and you could have learned how to play on your own it's like yes but and there's some truth to that but also being able to put myself into all these playing classes and labs where i'm playing with other people all the time in even genres that i'm uncomfortable in um really really helped me a lot so that musical theater orchestra thing is when i first started it was always like can you turn down your amp or what tones do i like your tones too dark because 
you, you know, when you're playing on your own, you gravitate towards darker sounds, and then you're in the context of an orchestra where there's 30 people, and it's not coming through. So all these things, and also playing with gear and learning mm -hmm. the most the ways of sounding professional on guitar. Um, also, um, studying with Scotty Johnson was extremely valuable for me because Scotty's not only a fantastic player because he's a, just an amazing guitarist, but he also has a ton of experience with the theater world. Um, and so I took his lab. Um, that was really, uh, really important. And we would just look at parts from books and also because these guitar parts, they're, you know, writing for contemporary guitar is complicated. And a lot of times it's not a guitar yeah. player that writes, it's a yeah. pianist. And so it's a mix of like hits with chord symbols and slashes and, 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 you know, and actual melodic parts that are written down. So it's, it's something you have to kind of learn and you have to learn a certain language. Um, you have to be the interpreter of what that person wants, even if they're exactly. that doesn't make any sense for guitar. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of the parts aren't verbatim when they're written down and then you have to sort of fill them in and interpret them and fills and stuff like that aren't written. Um, so it, it, it's just, it's just that sort of thing where I learned how to do that with Scotty's help, but also by being, by, by just doing it a lot and playing a ton of shows. Um, a lot of time you'll get like chords that like they're just impossible to play on guitar there's just too many notes and 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 so you have to sort of you know prioritize like all right how do i come how do i do this and also voice leading and yeah, uh, yeah. all that all that sort of stuff and and just knowing when you see a chord symbol what they want to hear based on like what the market of musical theater has been for the past 30 years, 25 years. Um, Are they listening to like the top note to make sure you're in the right place, but then you're doing sometimes a different voicing underneath as long as you give them that note, you're good. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Because some, sometimes it's um, like, you know, there's a million ways, for example, to play a C at nine, mm -hmm. but like you just gotta be, be smart enough and say, okay, what style of music are we playing? And you have to be versatile is what I'm trying to say. It's like, oh, sure. what kind of voicing do they, are they expecting to hear? Um, stay out of the way of the piano player, but unless there wasn't mm -hmm. one and it was a jazz yeah. situation, you might want a voicings and forth. And a bass player and and yeah. so on. Um, yeah. And then obviously like sometimes just the parts are just not written accurately. Maybe you'll get the the exact voicing written but they'll say finger style with pretty licks something like that and then you have to sort of do your own thing so that's also why subbing on broadway is is is, is hard uh because you don't end up you can't show up and just read the book you have to listen to a recording of what the player is doing and um and then have it 
just transcribe basically and and because the last player was doing it crunchy with an earth feeling <laughs> exactly exactly oh my god and it'll there's there's so many funny little quotes on guitar books that are just like wow i can't believe um or even just like um <clears throat> like sometimes you end up using a cape. Okay, let me see if I can Do I have something here. Um, okay. Also, Lauren, speaking of capo, have you ever have you ever tried this? No. The the G seventh. This is an amazing capo. It's one of the best things I've ever bought. It is like sixty bucks, but it basically you don't have to adjust the tension. And it works on both electric and acoustic, and it has this technology inside that like just adjusts the perfect tension at all times. It's got AI in it, <laughs> basically. And uh, no matter where you put it, it's it's going to be in tune perfectly. I don't understand it. It's amazing because um, like sometimes you'll get a part um, that doesn't sound, especially like these solo acoustic moments. Where it doesn't sound quite right and uh and then you're like well let me try it with different voicings but i still want the open voicing so you end up using a capo stuff stuff like that um so this I is a this is an immensely them. useful piece of gear if i could tell anyone to buy one thing that i own it's probably this capo i have okay. two of them. it's right. so i highly highly recommend it i mean I have to now i don't know if the guitar is in tune right now but in tune enough anywhere i place it yeah it's gonna be it let's say four great. you just squeeze it yeah or up it's here you just don't guitar is not coming through oh it's not well all right well check check the preferences in your zoom it might be uh one of those things oh i, I already have it like guys it's all but it, anyway it, it just it's in tune. i have the original sound on yeah well, musician um, sound, and you've got the uh, suppressed background noise off. Uh, yes, I was just checking. Yeah, uh, but it's perfectly—it's just perfectly in tune. I mean, perfectly. You That's know, the great. guitar isn't perfect, but That's uh, great. I would—I was—I always hated the capos, especially with electric. With acoustic guitar, it's easier to keep mm. stay in tune. And I was using uh, the Shub, which has the little. Right. wheel you can turn mm -hmm. but the the changes are so quick sometimes in these shows that um i bought this like maybe six or seven months ago and i honestly the selling point for this right was that you'll always be in tune wherever you put it yeah for and that that it can be used for both electric and acoustic regardless of the radius of the neck it, right, it's it's an insane deal. capo. It's, <laughs> I I like I can't stress this enough. It's so amazing. That's awesome. And um, and I don't I don't think I could do the show without it. Honestly, at this point, unless I what, it uses a lot of capo. <laughs> a lot of capo. A lot of capo on both electric and acoustic. <laughs> and yeah, on, on both. And you'll be able to tell because you're like oh. I can hear the open strings, you know. Yeah, high A usually isn't open. Yeah. So 
that was a huge selling point. When I first started this show, I I had I was I had three or four separate capos. Wow. Because I had one to use on acoustic. Then I had one set up with the tension for the fourth fret. Then I had one with the tension for the second fret because I didn't have time. Yep. I had them all labeled. And then I bought this thing and now I just use this one capo. That's fantastic. And you've got a spare. <laughs> and I've got a spare because one time I, I thought I lost it and I panicked. Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh no. And so I just yeah. I ordered another one on Amazon because like, well, you know, I don't want to get to a point where because now I'm so used to it. So well, those are the kind of things you can get endorsements for 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 sure. You know, you just gotta write. Yeah, them. I mean they've got lifetime warranty on them. So as long as they don't I already got two of them, so <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't think I need the endorsement. <laughs> but I, I certainly should I should write them um a, a nice email telling them what yeah. I'm doing and how much I love love their capo. Actually we had a we'll tag him in this video too yeah yeah why not i i had um so we had a guitar two sub in tampa um and he uh he was the m he he was i guess his main gig i think he's retired now but i think his main gig was being the md of the beach boys wow and and guitar player and um and we had like a little moment where I was like, have you ever seen this capo? You've got to get this capo. And he was like, have I? And he takes that out of his pocket. And oh, he was using, he was like, I brought mine from home. He conceals <laughs> so, it about his person. He's just yeah, carrying it. He, he brought it from home so he could use it. Where was his home? <laughs> he lives in Tampa. Okay. Yeah, Florida, or maybe like a, around that area. So. <laughs> You know what I never liked about electric guitars, and I love electric guitars almost more than acoustics just for their ease of playing, but I don't like that on a regular electric guitar, the main volume kills your tone if you use it as a volume control. It's like I want to keep my volume tone control up all the time and use a volume pedal or take the volume change from the amp because I want the full tone. So I'm using this godon guitar at school the last few years and i go to take down the treble for a second i mean the uh the volume and instead of getting darker the tone's getting brighter and brighter the, the quieter i make the volume and i was realizing then that it had a treble bleed in it i had never heard of such a thing i have one in my guitar i was, I was about to say uh this guitar i have i have a treble bleed and uh I love it. I love it too. Me too. So many other tones that you can because get out. Everybody comes in with a different guitar and different pickups. And no matter what, between my tone control and my volume control, I can get a tone to play with them and accompany mm -hmm. them and have us both blend really well. It's a fantastic thing. It should be on every guitar. I know. I just found out about it when I got this guitar because I started noticing. I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. I can. On that one. Yes, yes. This one just has a volume and a tone. And yeah. uh, but it has the treble bleed uh, mod cool or whatever it is. It's 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 great. I I, I really like it too. Um, what do you do when I still in? go ahead? I still use the I use the volume knob. I don't use the tone knob a whole lot, uh, but I use the volume knob quite a bit yeah. to uh, 
because um, the volume pedals that we have on with the Kempers, they're set up as master volume, not okay. like a regular volume pedal. And yeah. so, you know, it doesn't change the tone. It just affects the volume of it. Uh, so whenever I have to do something where I want to maybe just like get a little less gain on the sound, but retain that same sound is um good i i it's it's really really great i i personally love it might get it from all my guitars eventually yeah that would be a cool thing <laughs> i've always noticed that if i'm playing with my fingers of course i want a little bit more tone want a little bit more brights so mm -hmm. i always step my amp up with a little bit more highs than i need pull the tone back on whatever pickup i'm going to be on when i'm playing with a pick and then have the extra that I need there to just turn the volume back, uh, the tone up again to play with my fingers. Yeah. And what I've always liked doing is as soon as I plug in an electric guitar to any amp, I might put everything on the amp at, you know, unity or, or you know, just a, a flat response, let's say. But I will put it on the neck pickup. And if I can get a nice, warm, clean tone with the amp and the clean first pickup with the volume all the way up and the treble all the way up and then cut it back a little bit if I pull up the uh, treble on the amp because I want to use my fingers. If I have a nice jazzy tone for the neck pickup, all my other pickups are like perfect, you know, because the, the yeah. guitars are usually set up and sort of tuned that way that now you have a little bit more of an out of phase sound. Now you have more of a lead sound. Now you have more of a. That's how, that's how I set my clean tone too. I, I do it to the neck pickup and then. Yeah. I yeah. I, I set it up to the neck pickup always. And um, I don't go for like, like a warm sound, but not too warm. I still like No, no, not that. I still like it. Uh, I still like it to be present. Uh, yeah. But yeah, once everything sounds good on the neck, it usually is fine for everything else too. And I find I fine tune the pickup height on this guitar for what I like to do as well, because oh, yeah. um, usually you know the bridge pickup will be a little bit uh, too too high. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I like the bridge pickup to be a little bit lower, so that the output's lower and it's not as um, it's just more dynamic. I also do a, I, I do a hybrid picking my, uh, yeah. So I do this, you know, pick and then I, I use my pinky as well, which is, I guess not a lot of people. Great. That's do. a guy Van Duzer thing. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. He uses all five fingers cause he uses a thumb pick. Oh, I see. I use a, I use a regular pick. Me too. I use a regular pick. And then, inst and then I use my three fingers. So you've got four voices. If I don't use my pinky and I'm hybrid picking, all of a sudden I'm down to three voices. Yeah. You know what I mean, like he's got all five. Yeah, that's crazy. All five. Yeah, he's he's a monster. Yeah, I uh, I I do it. I mean, obviously the pinky's not as independent, but um, it's nice to to be able to to do that. Um, even when it comes to uh, like finger style stuff. For these shows, I tend to do the hybrid picking thing with the pinky. Uh, and honestly, it's not like I wanted to do that. I just developed the skill out of necessity because I was never a fingerstyle player. Right. 
and uh, I'd gotten hired for a show in Boston in my Boston days called Bridges of Madison County, which is uh, a heavy acoustic show that has a ton of that style. And I was like, oh, my God, they're like, can you do this? And I was like, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> Even though I never finger style picked in my life. Yeah. And so I, I started like really working hard and it was like the easiest thing for me in that moment. And then I started developing it as like a skill. And now it's just a style I I prefer using. Um, um, well, so, so, yeah, it was one of those books. They've got a whole book on just different patterns that they do with their picking hand. Who is that? Classical players. Oh, yeah. There's like whole exercise books that are like this thick. I saw it once in my office that Dave Newsom had. Yeah. Insane. But for me, I remember just uh, a very beginner classical book, Aaron Shearer classical method or something. When I was a kid, I asked my guitar teacher, how do you finger pick? He said, get this book, talked about the PIMA and... Um, just got a couple of things going, learned a couple of Paul Simon tunes, a couple of James Taylor tunes, and I was on my run, you know. What is this book called? Aaron Shearer. I think there's a whole classical guitar series. How do you spell the last name? S-H-E-A-R-E-R. -E -E they're probably still in print because like a lot of things, they're, you know. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look it up because I, I want to, uh, I want to get into that. Well, the, the three guitars I play here are electric, acoustic, and then a, like a flamenco nylon guitar. And I've been telling myself, you gotta, you gotta practice uh, the finger style flamenco stuff because it's gonna come in handy. And also, it just sounds so cool. So uh, I would check it out and make sure that you know whatever book you're looking through covers what you're actually looking for. Right, but anything honestly to get me to move my fingers differently because a lot of the stuff I can cover with the hybrid picking, but there's just some things that you can't. Yeah. I just go crazy over that. I just love that, especially since it's only these two chords and so much melody is happening from yeah. it. And you get to alternate your fingers in all kinds of cool ways, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, let me, while I'm here, let me show you that capo. It's yeah. a, like, even if I put it, if I put it anywhere and I put it on four. Beautiful. It's, it's in tune. It's real. <laughs> or if I put it, even if when it's you not go done with up, mirrors. Yeah, even if you go way up here. Yeah. In mandolin land. It's all in tune. You know, now the granted Fantastic. my guitar is slightly out naturally now because I haven't yeah. tuned it, but like you can tell that it's it's like it's happening, you know, it's Well the top E string is a little flat naturally. Right. Exactly. When you're perfectly in tune, it's naturally a little flat so that if you need a t like a high right. A on a D, D minor triad in the fifth position, you've got to kind of turn that string up a little bit if you're going to emphasize that particular note in any particular song because yeah, it's exactly. going to be naturally flat. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's yeah. a drag, man, a total drag. <laughs> well, doesn't, doesn't James Taylor tune his guitar uh, specifically? Uh, yes. He does. Like and he says we should all try it, but I don't understand how that would work because his touch is different. 
The way he would grab the strings is different. The right. capo he's using is different. The neck is different. The radius is different. <laughs> well, every guitar is a little bit different. I find myself exactly. playing a little bit different on every. Works for everybody. Yeah, it's just uh, the natural thing. I actually, it drives me so crazy because I'm such a freak about like tuning. Yeah, me too. I, I was so desperate that I was looking into those uh, true temperament necks that have the squiggly frets that are basically perfectly intonated. Are uh, they? <laughs> well, I mean, I have a lot of students with them and they still play at it. So. Really? You got people are starting to show up with them? Oh yeah, we've had those slanted frets a long time. If I'm oh not not the thing. not the fan frets. I, I'm talking. Oh. About, they're like these little. Um, these little squiggly frets, they're like, they're like, they're, it's called true temperament. It, it's just like every string is off a few cents so that oh every chord sounds perfectly in tune. Have but you tried playing one? I haven't, I haven't, but that could be weird. kind of inaccessible. Um, like, Where are they making them? Who's making them? I think them? it's Sweden. Oh. But they're, they're, they're coming, they're coming around Players like Steve Vai are using them, and uh, okay. and mostly, I mean, I there is some something to say about the beauty of the guitar is also the imperfections. Um, if you can, if you learn your instrument, you can sort of get almost there, but uh, and. You know, we're not playing a keyboard where everything. So it, it it does take a little bit of that out when every chord rings so perfectly. But um, but I don't know. It just it just drives me crazy sometimes when you know one chord's in tune, the other one's slightly off, and especially when you're using overdrive. And yeah. The thirds really tend to pop out if unless they're perfectly resonate resonating with. Yeah with everything but when I tune I, I definitely I think the chords I always try to always make sure that the that the the major these major triads and minor triads sound good pretty much everywhere. Oh good for you. The add nine chords I always check these like right I always check that these sound good. Yeah. These are played with overdrive a lot and in, okay. in a lot of these pop styles and um but uh yeah so that i always check with like some common voicings that i use a lot because like a lot of times when i'm voice leading stuff i tend to use the b g and d string to stay out okay. of the bass player and the piano player sure you know sort of this like that sort of thing oh nice um, and also I check the higher octaves because a lot of times you'll get these sort of like these sort of parts that are uh, Motowny and um, right. Um, you need them. Yeah. So yeah, I always tune I with. I always tune with this. Chords. Sorry. Go ahead. Go. Go ahead. Also, those 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 chords that you were you were sh playing earlier, like these. these yeah. Check with that, and then I check with this, and then I check with this. In 
if those, you know, I, I try to get those in. Even after I tune with a tuner, I make sure that those are balanced and singing to me because I can't stand playing anything that's out of tune either. I can't even hit my drums if they sound bad. I have to tune right, the drums. Right. I'm always tuning my piano because I don't like when the piano is out of tune. The minor chords I check too sometimes. Like I'll, I'll do like a, I'll make sure both octaves, like even like a, like these minor seven chords like i mean this guitar is so so good with the intonation like even if you hear this it's like and then if i do it up the octave whoops yeah and you're setting your own intonation on that right yeah so i check those and yeah i, I set my own intonation this is this has got the you can go back and forth with the with the saddles it's like yep. the, it's not like a regular Telecaster saddle where you have three. Oh, good, because I don't know what three. they were thinking with that. That's not even possible. No, this one has the six, one saddle per per string, so Smart. you can set it yep. perfectly. And I haven't touched it in months. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's guitar is pretty much like how it is out of the box. I mean, I haven't played this since yesterday at the show, and it's still somewhat in tune. Oh yeah. Yeah, it sounds good. You know, it's a little bit out, but... Yeah. Well, it is interesting. Sometimes the more expensive the guitar, the more volatile it is to the weather. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, well, I mean, this was... That's beautiful woods, but it keeps changing because it still thinks it's a tree, you know? Yeah, this is uh, this was about, you know, $3,000. It's not like a cheap guitar, but... It's also not like top tier, like you know. It, yeah. It's a it's a good quality. It's something that I can tour with and and not feel bad if it gets banged up because it's already banged up. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, it stays in tune beautifully, and um, and 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 uh, even like after twenty four hours, it's still still nice. pretty much dead on you know that's cool my and little honer guitar sorry yes it depends it how depends hard on you pick too sometimes Absolutely. if i know i'm gonna do a rock thing where it requires that hard hitting thing i'll like tune slightly off so that when i hit hard like the power chord like the it won't be sharp and then flat. <laughs> exactly. So, because when, when I hit hard, it goes sharp and it yep. comes back down. So, yeah. But I'm also a little bit extra about that kind of stuff. But when you're using in ears, you hear everything. So it's just. Yeah, it'll drive you nuts if it's wrong. My goodness. Even when I play with other guitar players and stuff, even in the mm -hmm. show, I have to. I, I cannot. Like, I have to keep the guitar twos electric pretty low in my mix because it, it if he's a little bit off compared to me it just oh it makes me throws insane. me off it makes me uh absolutely and i start it's tuning so... and compensating yeah. and getting crazy i used to do that in the classes you got eight guitar players and i'd be tuning trying to fit in because that's my way of doing right. it for recording make mm -hmm. my guitar sound good to the existing tracks but then you end up being sort of in between everybody's tuning so now it's like Thankfully, everybody has a tuner, or it's like, here's an A. <laughs> Let's tune up going before we... back to speaking of classes. Going back to what you were saying about classes that were valuable, I I feel like this was something that you know going into um, into Berkeley. There's 
all this studying of um, you know every semester at least for guitar performance we were doing a different scale with the different modes and chords and everything and so you're learning all these scales and stuff and uh, which at a certain point <laughs> I I don't use half of them uh, you know I know uh, I never use them either <laughs> uh, but but they're cool you know t it's cool to know those things and uh, <laughs> I, I keep I have all the all the PDFs of everything that I I kind of go back to <laughs> sometimes if I'm in a rut or, or whatever. So you're if studying somebody's playing the standards and using a lot of jazz stuff, you know, jazz repertoire, all that stuff's super helpful, but most people aren't playing jazz. I find that, yeah, well, that, and also I feel like the, all these jazz guitarists that I talk to, I'm like, what, is, what are you doing? And it's, it's, everyone thinks a little bit different. They're not thinking of, I'm mm -hmm. doing uh Phrygian dominant on this chord or whatever. They're like, oh, yeah. just hitting this tension and then resolving here and approaching this thing. And uh, mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a great jazz guitar player. It's never been my thing, but I'm the type of person that I've played enough gigs that <laughs> you put a standard in front of me and I can get by and play it. It's not going to sound super authentic, but it's going to, I'm going to be able to get through it. Um, be musical right so yeah. i'm immersed i was immersed in all this stuff all this studying of scales and all these super players because there's so many amazing players and stuff, yeah. stuff at berkeley that like I, I you know i kind of had forgotten about music you know you're you're thinking about you're all and then and i started taking classes with you and uh, that i think this was the most valuable thing that i got from your classes especially the one-on-one -on -one, um hmm. um was that you got me thinking about making music hmm. and, and ra rather than just like you know we, we we looked at the stuff that, that we had to look at but um we were talking about parts mm. of songs that fit in a certain way and uh, stuff like that, that really I'd sort of forgotten about where I was just obsessed with like, oh, I'm going to transcribe the solo and get this lick and play it in all keys and use it on my next solo. And all of a sudden it's like the whole time. And then and then everybody, there's this, uh, then you enter this toxic mindset of like I have to show off, <laughs> and 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 sound and 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 impress, but like, mm. and, and then you know I'd come into your into your room and it would be like oh let's look at this part and why does this part work well in this song and what would you do and and look at the the the, the kind of. Uh, the way he's fingering it or the way he's playing it and his vibrato, how it translates into the song and does it get the point across and all these things about music that I'd sort of forgotten and put on the back burner hmm. because, you know, you're, you're being at Berkeley, I was like, I gotta get really good because everybody is like shedding all the time. Well, everybody, you know, like a lot of people, the ones that, yeah, they're always shedding all the time. And <laughs> that, yeah, so that was like something that was important that I got out of 
classes with you, uh, this, the songwriting of it. And I remember also when, remember when we went to see that James Taylor with Bonnie Raitt concert at Fenway Park? Yeah. That blew my mind. That that was Michael Landau, I believe. I know. Oh, yes. You told me. It's like and my guy. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Uh, and that was, was that the, the first time, time you'd ever. seen him live? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was. Thank the first you for the tickets, Dave O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, you know, listening to those songs live, and uh, it, it really, I don't know. It, it it opened my eyes, and I think that was one of the most valuable things and i know it sounds simple but like people get lost it's everything yeah people get lost in their own sometimes they people get lost in their own ego people get lost uh trying to be the super musician but what does it mean to be a super musician you know well there's a, there's a lot of moving parts to the whole thing right there's the whole physical side of being able to play there's the understanding of what you're doing and using and then different things like scales, perhaps, or different chord voicings become tools and all the pedals and the sounds and the amps. And there's all these extraneous things. But the whole point is, what are you playing and what do you want to make somebody feel like mm. if somebody was building something? It's not all about the hammer and it's not all about this particular molly bolt. You know, it's not like you walk into uh, uh, the Taj Mahal and go, oh, it's just some two by fours and some molly bolts and a couple of the screwdrivers and. So somebody used a hammer. It's no big deal. It's just in the key of C. It's no big deal. It's just, you know, using some modal interchange. It's like you can't reduce a piece of music to that because music doesn't just exist on an intellectual level. Music exists on all the levels and all the sensitive systems in our body that perceive music. And that whole goosebump factor is everything to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a jazz violinist uh, student uh, tell me, in one of my ensembles, you know, I get more goosebumps from one Beatles tune than I do from a hundred jazz standards. And I was like, can I quote you? <laughs> because I don't know what it is about certain music that gets in our senses and gets in our DNA, but it makes us feel so fantastic and so alive. And that's what we're after. And we're wanting to get better. We want our ears to work. We want our fingers to work. And we want to know the stuff and we want to have a good gear. But we're trying to do something like that with it. And if you can give yourself goosebumps, you're doing it. You know, it's not about can I give everybody goosebumps? Can I impress everybody? I remember even John Finn coming into one of my classes once and he was like, what is it? What are you doing in here? Why is it you can play one chord and everybody goes, oh, and then I'm and they're like, you know. And it's because it's not about trying to impress people. It's not a competition for me. It's just a goosebump thing. I just want to have a blast and keep loving the sounds I love and put the sounds I love in all my songs and in my recordings the best I can. And I'm not trying to be the best. I, I can't possibly. There's no consensus. Nobody's all going right. to ever love what I do or what I do with all this stuff. But for me, I'm doing it. And it rocks right. my world. And I love it. You know, that that's all it is for me. Yeah, and the best musicians are the ones that have a voice that uh, is hard to replicate, you know, because... Maybe because they're not all trying to be the same and jump exactly. through the same hoops. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you listen to, um, you, you know, you listen to the Beatles songs and, uh, and, and it's so hard. And this is something I learned 
over the years, it's so hard to replicate that authentically. I know. Uh, just like it's extremely hard to replicate someone like Jimi Hendrix or even Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen is, is so hard to, to replicate authentically. Because it's Robin so Stone can do it. Huh? Robin Stone was able to do it. I mean, it's rare. It, it can happen. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. Hard. I have a friend, Joe, that does it very, very well. Um, mm. But it's so difficult because it's so unique to that person. Um, well, you're bringing up something really cool because that's the stuff that used to interfere when I would take things off records. There wasn't enough information written down in the guitar parts. You know, there's just the melody and the rhythm and where you breathe and leave rests and stuff. But for me, it's like, what about all that articulation? What about the phrasing? What about the personality? What about the way they struck the string? What about the way they had that sustained? What about the way they bent that? I mean, when Pat Metheny does those uh, little tiny bends that he stole from Jim Hall and just does those sort of, it's not a half step. It's not a whole step. Mm -hmm. It's these little, they just get me. I just love little it's things like, like when that. It's like when Django. nuances. When Django Reinhardt, uh, his vibrato, that really fast vibrato that he has, that is so, yes. uh, that works just and, so well in that style. Such a nice touch. And so you write down vibrato, but everybody's going to vibrato differently. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, when you're doing a tribute band, then stepping into the shoes of those players and trying to get it right is so fascinating to me. And I think I told you that story about Sandra Cott. She played violin and uh, viola and taught at Berkeley for a long time. She was with the Boston Pops and had her own groups and, and quartets and things. And mm -hmm. she came over to play violin on two of my two true songs on the Shadow Language album, Baby's Blue and The Garden. And at that time, Constant Craving had been a really great big hit for Katie Lang. And they had that sort of chunk, 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 chopping sound that was so cool. And we asked her to play that on the garden. And she said, well, you're asking me to do that on open strings and most people don't do it on open strings, but I can do it. And it was great that she could, but we had a tiny little symbol, a little melody. On violin, I wrote down, and she said, well, how do you want me to play this? Because I didn't put any bowing. Mm -hmm. And she played it 14 different ways. And each way wow. had a different emotion. And me and the keyboard player's jaws drop. We're like, oh my God. Because if you gave those couple of notes to a guitar player, they go ding, 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 ding. That's the rhythm, that's the melody, that's what you got. That's all there is. It's never all there is. Because there's the Hendrix way to do it, there's the Django way to do it, there's the Matheny way to do it, there's the James Taylor way to do it. It's infinite. So how do you notate that? You don't. For me, oh, it's like yeah. if you're going to be a really tasty guitar player, not only Michael Landau, but add 13 other players and, and get some of these frame of references and voices into your playing so that like if you were doing impersonations, you could sound like all these different people, you know? Mm -hmm. because it teaches you different things it teaches you different oh, yeah. sensibilities and yeah, that's I, what you're um, doing that's what you're doing for the show you're you're trying to pull off the same show every the same way every night that's that's what's similar yeah, about i mean that. i i don't i there's with this show specifically i kind of do it my way 
<laughs> the way I would do it. Uh, oh, okay, so you have freedom in this one. I have a little freedom, but the, but the riffs have to be played the way they have to be played. Um, on the recording or just the, the way recording. they're written? Yeah, on the, on okay. the Broadway cast. So who, are you, who, who played them first? Who were you imitating there? Um, whoever was playing guitar on the record in the 90s, and then some stuff there is whoever played guitar on the, re on the Broadway cast recording. But because, because of your first point, right? Right. It relayed back to something that that was the original way that it was done, and it had a, a certain way in which it spoke and delivered the song and put that feeling over, so they want to keep having that feeling in that performance. Right, when exactly, you're exactly. I do have a little wow, bit more freedom here and there, but for the most part, it's that. I mean, even like the other day, I was just messing around um, trying to transcribe uh, a few solos that I hadn't played in years. And, uh, you know, Queen songs or ACDC and even stuff like the way people bend into things like um like brian may does this thing where he pre-bends and i mean it's dead on when he does it it's actually a pretty hard thing to do he pre-bends and then hits the note so you're like yep. you're there right there and that. then you come down um yep. Oh, and I started like really thinking about, and I was like recording myself. So this is something extremely valuable for me, just like recording myself while I'm practicing and then listening back. And I'm like, oh my god, that sounds I terrible. I don't like it. And then you try to fix what you know because you don't realize while you're playing it. And uh, and same thing with all those Angus Young solos. I was looking at, and I was like, what is it that makes Angus Young's playing so interesting besides the phrasing? It's the way he bends into these chords. He gets way up there, and then there's this like fast but small vibrato happening. It, that 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 is just so hard to replicate. Um, it's that's the touch. How he does it. It's, it's the, touch. the touch. It's like the magic is in the sauce, right? For anything that's going to be tasty, it's it's the sauce, and this is everything because this is from that attack on. Mm -hmm. You know. Everybody wants the same guitar as their hero or the same amps or the same pedals or the same strings or the same picks or the same Well, no, And it's the touch is the most important yeah. thing. The, uh, this is another thing that I always tell uh, people when they ask me, like, what's the most important piece of gear that you have? And I say my picks, honestly, because I On sound, one hand. It's the pick on one hand, but it's your touch on the right, other. Right, right. But but the the first thing that touches, yes, it, it's like that pick, and 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 every pick sounds different, and also how worn in the pick is. I file my pick downs with a nail filer to like get them to sound exactly how I want them. I use separate picks for different songs. Me too. Yeah. Like depending on on what kind of sound I want, um, um, and uh, but I. You know, yeah. I've landed on one pick lately that I've been really liking, but even that, I have to, I, I, I file it the way I want it filed, and then I, I, I rub it on the carpet to get it like my carpet trick I showed you. Yep. Yeah, like yeah. you, like you showed me, and uh, <laughs> and it has to like, it's just extremely important. If I if I don't have my pick, 
um, yeah. I don't sound the same. No. All no. those tones and all that EQing you did goes out yep. the window. Completely oh, yeah. out the window. So for yeah, me, I can play any guitar, but I can't play any pick. And, yeah. and I really started thinking about the importance of like the pick and the way that I want to sound when I was uh, really looking into Brian May's playing and, and I, how does he do it? How does he do it? The way he does it <laughs> is he uses a coin. So he gets there you go. he gets that attack. And I was like, right. well, how does the edge sound the way he does? The edge right. sounds the way he does because he uses the rough side of a pick. Right. Instead of a, like, I don't know. He uses the, the, the corner. I can, yeah, this is regular, like, and this is the rough side. You get kind of like that kind of yep. like, you know, the, that sort of U2 thing with a million delays happening at the same time, but exactly. it retains that attack. So that really got me thinking on like, well, maybe it's, it's not, it's not just the amp and the pedals and the effects, whatever. It's the pick is extremely important. It's um, where the sound starts. Yeah. Cause it's like, Cause you know, if you take the attack off of any pitch, you can't tell what instrument made it. Oh yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Right? I never thought about that. You take the attack off of a piano note, you just get ooh. You take a off mm -hmm. of a drum, ooh. You take it off the guitar, ooh. You're just getting the That's ring. That's a good point. Of it. Yeah. And so it, everything is in the attack. In fact, there was a woman on an early Oprah show, and she wrote a book called The Secret Language of Babies. And she had perfect pitch. And when her son was born, she noticed that when he started to fidget and get a little uncomfortable, the very first syllable sound he made told her what he wanted. She knew if he was hungry versus if he needed to be changed versus if he had a gas pain versus if he was just thirsty or if he was needing to be held or put back down for sleep. It was the very first sound he made because was hungry. You know, and yeah. it was so obvious because it was an impulse. It was a, it was a, a wow. physical reaction, and it was a natural sound. You know, mm -hmm. so yeah, I totally agree with you about picks. I use um, Dunlop, the light purple ones, 1.5 millimeter, mm -hmm. and when they come out of the mold, they have too much flanging, too much uh, extra yeah. plastic. Yeah, so I are. rub them on the rug, and I get that particular mm -hmm. nice soft beveled edge because it's a very thick pick. Mm -hmm. And it's very beveled so that it's round. It's not sharp and edgy and it's not pointy. And every pick is made out of a different type of material. So you've got to practice. Yeah, yeah whenever whenever uh, it gets too worn in and I have to change it and get a new pick, it's like it's like breaking your nail, you know? It is. I, I have I remember I like having, long nails on the sound. Yes. I like the sound of long nails. Right. Uh, and I have to file them every two days. Yeah, to keep them right. To and I experimented right. with all those fake things too, you know. I did oh, the gel did. stuff, I did all the fake nails, I did the Rico nails, I did the non-toxic nails, I did I did all kinds of things, but I still like my nails best. And if I have a lot of finger picking to do for show after show after show, they just wear off. You have to that's why I asked James Taylor to give us his uh, video on one oh one nails one oh one, you know, because what he was he always do? telling he was always telling me about his nail wraps, and I loved using the nail wraps because I sounded like I was using his picks. 
but he uh, still sticks with the nail wraps. And he had it on his website for the longest time. He was saying, what video should I put on my teaching videos on my website? I said, show us how you do your nail wraps. And now it's on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. I can link to it here. But it's it's a fantastic video where he just shows you how he puts on the nail wraps and he puts on the nail glue and he does like three layers and files and waits for it to dry in between. And he has a whole kit that he takes with him on the road because like you say, something breaks, he's got to be able to repair it instantly. And Paul McCartney doesn't finger pick the way we were talking about like Travis picking or anything alternating. He just kind of hits the thumb and then does a jinga, 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 jing. You know, so if you're going to oh, really uh, Blackbird um, accurately to play like Paul, you really have to do his little picking, which is just this. He's just, oh. he's just doing that. He's not like people think it's pretty serious, but it's not only John wow. and George knew how to really finger pick like for dear prudence and all those, all those things, you know, they, they did actual finger picking. Paul just strums with his first finger and he's done it so much his whole life that his nail doesn't grow on this finger anymore. Oh, he wow. has to always go to the nail shop and have one fake one put on every couple of weeks if he's on tour and stuff. That's to keep, crazy. Keep that. He goes to the parlor and they do yeah. the one nail and he makes it. like, you know, you play so much that your body sort of adjusts. Like for my, my, my oh, yeah. thumb nail has a, it just kind of bends down where because it's always being hit because I'm always thing. picking and 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 it kind of like grazes it and and it's, yep. so, so it's like it's round and then it just goes. It's like it's an my corner of each one of these nails does the same thing. Like they grow on yeah. an angle because of that they're always being shown off. What do you <laughs> do for like nail strength? Do you like have a do you, do you like eat certain types of foods and stuff? Well, you know, I was a vegetarian for 22 years and then got seriously ill going. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Two of those last two years, it was like, okay, my blood type can't do that. You're <laughs> so what? now You're, that I'm yeah. eating meat again, uh, my nails are fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I have very much less problems with them because there's a lot more protein going on. Um, there are some nail strengthening things that are all natural, though. You'd have to look them up. I don't have them on the tip of my tongue at the moment. Yeah, there have been some I know calcium, you know, calcium, this, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of not even kind of I'm lactose intolerant, which is something I started realizing in the past, like, our bodies change, years. you know, well, I mean, I've, I've, I've always been, I just, you know, when you don't know any different, you just assume that that's the way you have, that's, that's the way you feel. And then exactly. all of a sudden you take it, you take it out of your diet and you're like, wait, I feel so much better. Um, but then that eliminates right. milk, yeah. cheeses, and I still, you know, I, I eat hard cheeses, low lactose and stuff Almond like that. Almond milk is good. And you might try, uh, goat products, goat cheese and, uh, sheep cheese because they have less antibiotics and less, um, uh, uh, pesticides and stuff. So yeah, that might help. all those all those dairy products contain a lot of calcium. So I'm trying to like figure out ways to like strengthen my nails. I might just take, and I don't want to like. Well, that was that was the up. actual the old thought of it. They thought that's what you need for calcium, but actually the the dairy actually affects the calcium in your oh, really? in your bones. It attacks it. Yeah, it really doesn't do it justice. So maybe somebody's body is actually benefiting from it, but very few. Mm -hmm. When I go to those naturopath people, they're like, oh, no, dairy's not really that good for anybody. 
But I can link also a, a link to an article I did on nail care and talks about James Taylor's video. And it also had a few of those different things to strengthen nails and all the yeah. different fake ones I was using. That's a big struggle on the road, honestly. And I really need my nails for like a couple of numbers in the show. I just have to be super careful. And, you know, with the traveling all the time and playing all the mm. time, it, 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 I snap them fairly often. It's always my pointer or my thumb. Right. Um, you know, what you could do is get used to practicing if you file it down properly and size it. Because, like, I never liked thumb picks. They were either too tight and hurt or they would be too loose and they'd pop right off. They don't but, sound the same. It just feels like an appendage. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. But uh, Guy talks about how you have to size those. You have to... Um, Guy Van Duzer says you have to heat them up and then size them. And then it gets comfortable. And if it's too long because it's standing up too high off the string, you have to make it the height you want like you did with the filing. So a trick I've done sometimes when I have a big important show coming up with a lot of finger picking is I'll put in those nail, those each finger pick that go up under the nail a little bit and this other piece sticks out. They make my fingers too tall, but at least with all the practicing I'm doing, if I'm wearing anything out, I'm wearing out the picks and not wearing out my nails. And then a day or so before the show, I go back to my actual fingertips to remember that feel. Mm -hmm. And um, then I can play the show with the nails that I actually intend to use. They're not worn off by them. That's interesting. Like a lot, like a lot of classical players that are super old school with their technique, they, they use flesh. They don't, like, cause like the old timey way of doing it was no nails back when they were uh, using gut strings and stuff like that. So really? A lot no of, like, nails very at all? Often. Even yeah, Segovia like and some of those, ago. like Segovia? No, 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 no. I'm talking like... Even before him. Yeah, I'm talking like back in the day of like, you know, lutes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they were using flesh and some people that are just trying to be as authentic as possible will commit to flesh and uh i don't and, get enough high end i don't get enough yeah attack I, don't, I don't i don't get i any. have that in the article too so it feels weird not to have nails on this hand and it's a little less even if you get the callus because not, i like having nails i can scratch yeah, right <laughs> but they're helpful on one hand at least and um i don't like the sound of just flesh but some people do, and they just make that commitment and put up a little extra treble on their guitar and their amp, and they never have to worry about nails. And I love that as an option, not knowing, not having to deal with it, but I don't like the sound, so I don't do it. I don't either. I don't either. I, uh, it's, it would, it's just, uh, like you said, there's not enough, there's not enough highs. I, I can't. Not enough attack. Yeah, and then if you go back to a pick, you have too much attack because you catered, you EQ'd to the... Yeah, to the fingers. I, I don't know. It's just... Well, that's why I do the little amp trick with the treble. Mm -hmm. You know, I put it up too high, turn it back on the guitar a little bit, just on the tone control, play with a pick, and then when I go to finger pick, put the tone all the way up so that there's more treble and it catches those nails into the flesh nicely. Mm -hmm. So, Lauren, I got to get going soon. Yes, I my Romeo has been asking for dinner since 2 o'clock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
I uh, I'm I have a month off coming up after next week, and I'm gonna go to oh. I'm gonna go to Rome, visit my family, and stuff. Oh, so fantastic! I, I have to go to the AAA before it closes to get my driver's license, international permit thing. Oh, so cool! So I can drive there. <laughs> otherwise, I'm stuck with. Otherwise, I'm stuck at the house. Um, yes. But this was awesome. I'm glad we got to chat awesome. and catch up. We we should uh, definitely see each other next week. Um, for the show, I'll I'll reach out to. to you um, uh, if Wednesday Wednesday works for you, and um, yeah, it'd be nice to see you, and and we'll catch up more in person. I can't wait to see you. It's been forever. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you too. I know and it's, it's been, been great. since 2019. Really? Uh, that wow. I've seen, last time I've seen you in person was 2019. Yeah, because I was in Boston about a little over a year ago with Pretty Woman, but. Um, yeah, but, it was too you know, COVID times, everybody was home, and you guys were teaching from home and stuff, and so, you know, yeah. it, was, it was more complicated. But yeah, I think the last time yeah. we caught each other in person was when you came to see Kinky Boots at the Colonial. Wow. Which is just well, we're, we're still around here, you know, we're just around okay. the corner. Nice. So, yeah. Right. Well, that'd be super. I can't wait to see you, and thank you so much for doing this because it's been so informative and cool. Yeah, I just love talking about guitar. I could do it all day. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I love talking to you about anything. So, you know, thank you so much. And I just wish you all the best. I just think you're a super musician. And uh, all the things you're looking forward to, I just hope they all come true. And stay safe and well. And good luck getting your international license. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to pay 20 bucks. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. It's easy. Renew, renew. <laughs> yeah. All right, Lauren. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'll Take talk care, to you. Claudio. It was awesome. Bye bye. Bye. Claudio Reno. Thanks so much, Claudio, my Italian brother. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to have to catch up with you in Italy. Get to go to my home country. <laughs> You can check out our videos on my YouTube channel or on my webpage, laurenpassarelli.com. And then, of course, there are little clips on El Pass Guitar on my Instagram channel. I look forward to seeing you. Please leave some comments and subscribe and tell your friends because we're on all the podcast sites now. Woohoo! Thanks, everybody. <laughs>